Blog Talk Radio. Nibbling 
on the periphery of our issues, and we're playing games with it. And in the interim, we let our youths wither on the stem and and die because we're not offering the kind of leadership. We're not offering the we're not offering them the kind of vision that that's clearly articulated, clearly broken broken down so that they can see a vision for success so that they can see a vision that they can say, okay, you know what? I am going to follow this this particular prescription here because it behooves me to do so because it makes sense and it's something that I can, um, you know, it's something that I can, uh, I can do. But we don't do that. We, we you know, we, we even play games with these youths. You know, we, we, uh, we marginalize them and then we malign them then we expect them to do what's right. How is that? How do we expect them to do what's right if we're not giving them the kind of vision? If our political system doesn't provide them any hope, doesn't provide them with any kind type of vision that they can see. Look, if I if I do A B C D, this is what's going to happen. So many of them. I mean, we have a country that's more than fifty percent. More than fifty percent is between the age of fifteen to twenty-five. That's a very young population, and if we don't start to give them opportunity to see that they that this is that, that this belief that we are talking about belongs to them, that it's their that it's that it's theirs, that it, that they're they need to inherit it, that they're the ones that are going to 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 um, take ownership of this. And we're not providing the right direction for them. And so don't be surprised that the body bags start piling up because we're not giving our youths that direction that they need to take ownership of our society. Our public se- sector institutions have grown weaker by day by day. And they're more disorganized and are patently incapable of leading the Belizean the involvement in these difficult times. And yet, even as the public service have retrenched, they have become even more entrenched in negative narrow attitudes, monopolizing power, shunning partnerships, withholding information and reducing vital services. So they are squandering the opportunities for, their, for, for directly contributing to the, to the uh, improvement of our, of our country. In fact, they are contributing to the impoverishment of our people and the economic divide is, is happening before our eyes. Because case in point, look, so look what's going on today in Belize this week. They, the PUP, the opposition, was able to um, bring a writ in front of the, the, the Chief Justice that they wanted to be reviewed to on regarding the conduct of uh, the, 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 com, the Commission of Police, whether or not he you know he he was negligent in his duty to investigate the criminal behavior, the alleged criminal behavior of um, Mr. Penner, Alvin Penner. I mean, you know, it's a situation where the the, the Constitution of Belize gives the the Commission of Police full discretion whether or not he can decide, you know, whether or not it's a criminal act is committed or whether or not it's 
he had he he has you know the fortitude to to investigate. We know it's all politics because it, the very nature of this 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 particular issue is very political. But what 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 is interesting is that even as he's hiding or twiddling, if you will, twiddling his his uh, thumbs behind this in this this uh, discretion that the Constitution grants him. So is Alvin Penner. He's doing. He's um. He's hiding behind ministerial discretion. And so this is where the insidious nature for of the belief in by the politics comes comes in. How can any intelligent individual tell us that um how can any intelligent individual be, tell us that this is the right system, that we should not question it, that we should not uh even look at semblance for other for, for proper development if we continue to, to, to chase our tails. Because it, here's the thing. Here's what really gets me, and I, I would say it sticks in my craw. Because you're saying, fine, um, Penner is wrong. We all know that. You know, he, he, Section 121 of the Constitution clearly stipulates that. But because there's no criminal code to, to, um, to prosecute him, he can hide behind his ministerial discretion. And not only that, so since we can't get to Penner, so we go after the, the component and say, well, you need to investigate. When... From the, if we had clear, no ambiguity from the beginning, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have had to go to no court or force the chief justice to act. And it gets even more insidious because Penner will, you know, the, 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 this, this undemocratic principle of ministerial discretion allows any minister to override the Constitution at their discretion. Let me give you a case in point. Section 29.3 of the Constitution explicitly points out that any Guatemalan nationals are forbidden from holding citizenship because of the hostility of that country towards us, or any country for that matter, in this particular case, Guatemala. Yet and still, we routinely offer these people citizenship because at the discretion, the ministerial discretion of the minister. So not only is he overriding the legislature, he's overriding... The Constitution itself, which is supposed to be the supreme law of the land. Imagine that. Imagine that. I mean, you know, let me repeat it. The minister, an elected minister, can override the supreme law of the land arbitrarily in our system of governance and jurisprudence because of that, that undemocratic principle of ministerial discretion. Case in point. The, the guy, the um, the Danny Gravelia guy from from Orangeburg, who as a Guatemalan national, who is running under a UDP ticket. So these are the kind of ludicrous, ridiculous things that makes me that chips at me, that chips my hide. When intelligent individuals who are highly learned and come from UWI with, you know, with a law degree and other things, come to me and look at me in the face and argue to me and says. Hubert Pipersburg, you don't know what you're talking about. Hubert Pipersburg, why can't you see the reasonableness in, this, in my position? When in fact, what you're telling me, that you're telling me to disregard my intellect, disregard my ability to reason, to bind to your, bind your narrow-minded focus, to, 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 to your narrow-minded focus and, uh, and the paradigm that you, want, that you want to stress of unjust laws. Therein lies the conundrum because you, you're telling intelligent individuals to just disregard their rationality, disregard their intellect, disregard their scholarship because 
see where we're coming from, this is correct. How can it be correct that you have a law that clearly states in the Constitution? That's like saying the President of the United States or a member of Congress in the Senate or the House of Representatives can arbitrarily overturn the Bill of Rights. You, you, I mean, you, you want to see a, a civil war? I mean, come on. But in Belize, this is what occurs. We routinely have a minister, you know, given the discretion to overturn the Constitution and the legislature. Isn't what, what kind of what kind of backward, infuriating system is that to operate on? Then you wonder why. Then yet you sit back and you wonder why. Why is it that we can't develop as a nation? Why is it that we keep chasing our tails? What kind of legacy you gonna leave for your kids? You're telling me that okay? Let's say I have a daughter, son. Twenty years from now, he goes to UWI. He's going to come back and argue this exact same thing over again 20 years from now, only because because as a, we as parents did not we did not have the the, the 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 intestinal fortitude to say, look, this system needs some serious serious structural reforms to it, and we're going to do something about it. I mean, come on, what are we talking about here? We're discussing the idea that the belief system of of governance and jurisprudence encourages this type of people. They attract this kind of people that wants to keep it going. To they don't want to challenge the validity of status quo. They want to keep it where by they can they can have sway over it. And this is uh, this has nothing to do with PUP or UDP. This is a this transcends border politics. It's a national issue because here we are. It, 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 it's, it's so convoluted. You cannot get to Penner. Okay, so you you force the hand of the commissioner. On the surface, I don't have a problem with judicial review because you know it, it, at least it shows some semblance of of sanity. But at the same time, it, I wager, and I was talking to my 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 good friend Parker Smith about this. Me and him discussed this. I wager that the chief justice will come back and say, you know what, based on the the concept, the, 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 the the commissioner of police have full discretion under the constitution again so to to do to to you know and he don't and he's going to probably argue, probably argue that he doesn't find anything unreasonable in the conduct of the of the commission of police then what you slam the door shut on penna which again he for because of techni- the technicality of the Belizean constitution the Belizean constitution he enjoys this special immunization he gets even more insulated from prosecution and that's the kind of insanity that drives me up the wall. Because you're looking at me, you see Hubert Pipersburg, disregard your intellect, disregard your rationality, disregard your scholarship, and accept this as okay, as a right-minded system to guide us into, in, into the new millennium. I think not. And anyone who continues to support that, anyone who continues to... To, to believe that that is the best way to move forward, then you're doing the youths. You're doing the children of belief a serious injustice because you continue to pass on. They pass it on to us, to my generation, the post-hearted generation. Well, I'm here to tell you that I, I didn't accept it. I refuse to accept it. And I'll never accept it because I, you know, it's wrong. The, and wrong is wrong. It's wrong for us to continue to, to to fight and play games in a system that's meant to be triumphant over us. It's high time 
We have no more excuses. It's high time that we say, look, what's going on here? We can't just vote, be voting for Twiddle D or Twiddle Dumb every five years and expect, you know, expect um, some favorable outcomes. We continue to settle for suboptimal up- outcomes. Then we wonder why the country is in the condition it is. But my friends, my fellow listeners, I'm here to tell you that this has, con- this has contributed significantly to a lack of progress in the, these past few decades, at least since independence. You know, we are, I was reading an editorial this week in, you know, you know, a Mandela newspaper. But before I get into that, let me just update my audience. I'm, I'm supposed to be joined by Micah Goodin and Albert Villas and Carmita Limas. Well, Carmita Limas had already informed me that she will miss the first hour so, because she has classes and she will in Pan, and so by the time she gets back to San Ignacio, it's going to be like around 1. So I expect to hear from her around 1 o'clock. Now, I don't know what the issue is with Micah and Albert Velas. Um, I had, you know, I had set it up. We, you know, we spoke, and um, these young brothers had already agreed, and, you know, they, so I don't know what the, what the deal is, but I'm hoping that, it wasn't technical, because we had already worked all that out. So I'm hoping that, um, that maybe they just delay, and, you know, to coming to, you know, because I know Alberta lives in Corozal, and Micah resides in Belize City, and they informed me that they were going to be in Belize City together. So I'm not, to my audience, I apologize. I don't know what these young brothers are doing. I do know that Carmita will come on in the next hour. She has already confirmed that. I haven't heard from Micah or Alberta. So Micah, if anybody knows these two young brothers, text them, please, you know, or give them a buzz and tell them, look, you know, it's, you know, we're waiting for them. We're waiting to hear from them. In any event, let me continue. Um, as I was saying, you know, we are at the point. You know, in, we are we are we are past excuse excuses. You know, in, in you know our development of beliefs. In referring to the editorial that Mr. Uh, my good friend Evan Exide wrote, um, I find something very there was something very poignant about what he said regarding the Guatemala issue. But even before I get to that, he said something that I've always echoed, he echoed my sentiment. We are a bewildered, confused people who lack a a cohesive national identity as a people. And we have these politicians who don't have any sense of nationalism who are willing to sell the country for a few dollars more. And this is how insidious it gets because they even agreed. Listen, this is the, this is, instead of behaving like a nation state, we continue to behave like a settlement. These guys agreed to open up the border of Belize in what they're calling an adjacent zone, the size of Cayman Islands. So yes, we have a border. They'll quickly tell you, yeah, we have a border. It's not a no man's land. Right, and still a one mile, a one mile, oh, sorry, a one kilometer on each side of the border. We've opened up about the size of Cayman, and our territorial integrity is, is compromised because this is where all the the rampant and anything goes along the border. I've been there. I've seen it firsthand. So no one can tell me to, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've been there. I've seen it. We have compromised our border. We have compromised the integrity of our border. And this is the thing that Mr. Exit was pointing out in, in his editorial, that, you know, we continue to play games with our sovereignty. 
we continue to, to believe in the benevolence of strangers. Oh, an NGO will come in and help us, or the ICJ will help us, or that one will help us. That kind of deformed, myopic mentality, instead of saying, you know what, brother, like, let's support Will Mejia. We're going to man the integrity of our borders, even as we negotiate, if that's what you want to do with Guatemala for, you know, to end this claim. But no, they say, oh, just leave it open. And look, there's ample opportunity around the world that if you continue to let the reality of the ground, the reality on the ground dictate what's going to happen, then explain to me exactly how, when it's time to, if you decide you want to go down the ICJ route, which I don't, uh, I'm not in support of, when you have whole communities living in this so-called adjacency zone that you were so generously opened up, agreed to, you're going to uproot them? You're going to tell them to move? Or are they going to be... They're in Belizean territory. They haven't, they haven't children that have been born there and everything. So you're going to tell them, no, what, they're not Belizeans anymore, they're Guatemalans. You're going to keep them? This is the kind of ludicrous things that we do, these politicians do, in our name. This is the kind of ridiculous and misguided things that they do in our name. And don't tell me about, oh, what's your solution? Certainly it wouldn't be that. It wouldn't be to, to compromise our integrity. It wouldn't be to compromise our, our, our sovereignty. It would be, our sovereignty. It would be to man the borders, get the BDF off the streets. That's a back into the bush. That's what I will tell you. Because you go, I mean, I, when I was in recently Belize, you ever walked, Albert Street, George Street, BDF with M16, fully loaded rifles along with the police, patrolling. So they have the south side of Belize under an apartheid-type lockdown. Checkpoints here, checkpoints there. And in the interim, the border is a free-for-all, anything goes. Then you wonder, why is it that Belize is in the condition it is? Because we have leaders without vision we have leaders who continue to play the games with uh, with our livelihood and with our and with 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 our country because look if you have a if you have a if you keep a society dependent if you keep a society pinned down where they believe that the only salvation is either a red paradigm or a blue paradigm, then what do you expect to happen? No one is, these parties don't go to educate their members. I doubt if these parties, you know how many, how many people are PUP? What? Give me a number. No one has ever told me oh, how many PUP there is, how many UDP there is. We have, I know there's uh, over 178,000 registered voters. Do we even know, can we guarantee the integrity of that list, the, the sanctity of that list? How many are Guatemalan nationals, which, is, which are under the Constitution? is explicitly prohibited. 178 registered voters in Belize. How many of those are Guatemalan nationals? How many of those are Central American uh, nationals? How many of them are, are you know, are Belizeans who, you know, who, who, who I, I'm not trying to be discriminatory here, but it begs the question, it, how can we guarantee that that voter list, that these, that continue to elect these, these politicians, is, 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 is righteous. And 
And I mentioned because with the, we have all these Guatemalan nationals who get to vote in our elections. What does that say about us? It says more. It says more about us as a people than it does Guatemala. And I'm not. I don't have anything against the campesinos because I'll be the first one to to um, to fight for them and argue for them. But when it comes to the integrity of the country, you have to draw a line. You have to ask yourself, what exactly is going on here? Why is it this? Why are these things allowed to happen? Okay. And the thing about it is this. Belize, to me, has not yet posed a question how it sees itself and where it wants to go and continues to drift and be pulled from side to side by the currents of regionalism, multilateralism, financial interest, internal jockeying, or those trying to reach the feeding trough. And that's basically what it is. You know, we, we, are, we, we, now, have, we now have what is called a privatized government. That's the model. So these governments become so insulated from the needs of the people that they only act in the interest of foreign donors and foreign interests. And the interest of the people becomes secondary. And that's a fact. If you witness what's going on in, Guadal- in Venezuela, I know there's a lot of hue and cry about Maduro. This, I posted something on, on, on my blog, in, on my page. I was blogging on this. A lot of people say, oh, well, he were Bibersburg. We, you know, they're, they're dictators. They're, you know, they're, they're, the people want them on. That may very well be true, but last time I checked, do, does dictators get elected? Because if, if based on my knowledge of the, my my study of dictators and what they do, and I know some of the most vicious ones in, in the Americas, such as Anastasia, Anastasia, the late the former Anastasia Somoza in Nicaragua, Augusto Pinochet in Chile, these guys should they make Hitler look like a Boy Scout? So I mean, you're telling me that that's what Maduro is? And uh, he, you know, he's torturing and committing crimes against humanity in, in, in Venezuela. And so you want me to support back the neoliberals with their privatized government where they answer to foreign interests and not to the will of the people? That's what you want me to support. That's what you're asking me to, to, to support in Venezuela. Well, I think not. No revolution happens overnight. It takes time. Nothing is going to happen just by, um, by us just looking at it for it to happen, it takes time to build Cuba. Didn't, you know, look at Cuba as a case in point. Whenever you have a people popular struggle, whenever there's a people's popular struggle, it takes a lot of work, and there will always be counter revolutionaries to whatever idea that you that you're trying to form, or the idea that you're trying to promote, or whatever um, uh, vision that you're trying to articulate to the people. Cuba has endured one of the biggest and the most racist, I would say, embargoes by the most powerful country in contemporary times, the United States. And yet and still that country continues to, to try to survive under this economic embargo. Then, so the care is the thing. Whenever you try to charter an, an independent economic path that doesn't say you're going to get it, you're going to bind to the neoliberalism that Washington favors, you are viewed as a threat to the corporatocracy, like we are, like my good boy, uh, like my good friend on um, uh, Kyle Boyle, like he labeled it as a corporatocracy. You know, where where corporate interest runs your country essentially, and that's what they're trying to bring back to to to, um, to Venezuela, where Chavez was able to Chavez was able to uh, to to 
to, to disband that. Sure, okay, was it perfect? No. But he was able to break the grip of the corporate interests and pull out the government of Venezuela from under the, 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 the thumb, the boot, the heel of corporate and multinational corporation that was sucking the lifeblood out of that country. And, of course, he made a lot of enemies in Washington and Europe because they, didn't, they don't want you to. They don't want to. to they, the model that they want is for you to say, privatize your government, privatize everything at the expense of your people. You, you know, and that's what, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a conservative business model, this neoliberalism, and it's favored by, by European Union and Washington because it, ser- it serves them. So it's a, it's a new form of, uh, you know, not even neocolonialism, but it's a form of, you know, new imperialism because then you put puppet governments, you put puppets, individuals in place, and all they do is answer to you, to, you know, when the IMS come calling with, you know, with their stir measures and the World Bank, then you have to cut back on this and cut back on this, and your economy is con- constantly in a, in a sense of uh, disarray, in a perpetual disarray. And this is the kind of model that they're telling for, 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 you know, for, for the people in America, that, look, this is what you need to do. And so when, when you have countries such as Venezuela, um, Evo Morales in, um, in Bolivia trying to say, you have leaders who say, look, you know, I, I, I really don't, uh, you know, I want to examine a different model. Now, I'm not against you. I'm not, I just want to examine a different model. No, you're forcing them to, to stick up and do, I mean, to, to do exactly what it is that you want. And this is the kind of thing that, um, that, 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 that when I was blogging, I don't expect people, I don't expect anybody to agree with my viewpoint because it's not the conservative view. And I mean, I, I wouldn't even call it a left-wing view. It's more of a progressive view. And that's what, that's what I'm championing. Because if you are saying that you support the campesinos, and I have some friends who come on my page and was blogging this, if you're saying that you're supporting the campesinos in Guatemala or in Belize or anywhere it is, you know, where there's oppressed people, and you continue to lobby, you, you're upset with, with Chavez and Maduro in Venezuela, then it tells me that you're not a progressive, you're not a progressive thinker. You're only paying less service to being progressive. Because how could you, after I've just explained to you, you know, this, the idea of privatized government, where the government is taken over by multinational interests and globalization forces, and the people's interest is secondary. Because these, these multinationals, these transnational companies, must get their, must answer to their, to their um, shareholders and to their stockholders and shareholders before they answer to you. So they're not going to have, they're not people-centered. They only, they're only going to work in the interest of the business elite. And that's the model that you have working in Belize. So I don't want to hear about, Barra says, you know, Mr. Barra said he um, probably, you know, he, uh, took over BTL, BEL, and those companies. He nationalized them. Please. What he, hasn't, he, he what he's done is a sort of a quasi-nationalization. True nationalization means you slam the door shut and no judge, no law, nothing can get in there and sue you. No shareholders can go to Washington and a court in D.C. or come to the Supreme Court in, in, in Belize or wherever and... and, and, and file any, anything against you. So that's not true. Whatever he did, that kind of quasi, whatever he, think, whatever he thinks he's doing, is doing more harm than good. Because he's not led to, it has not led to any progressive or any enlightened uh, um, positions for the Belizean people. Not like rates are, 
are have dropped to the point where they believe some people can say okay and where the business people say, okay, no, my, 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 my power rates is down. Moreover, I don't see having a telephone company as a public good. A public good, by definition, should be non-rival, non-exclusive. That means you can't invite more than me, or I can't invite more than you. Everybody, everybody has a right to it because it's underwritten by taxpayers' dollars. That's the definition of public good. Tell me how a phone company comes under that. Not everybody, if you can't have a phone it's because you can't afford it, that's fine. Then you shouldn't have a phone. But it shouldn't be a guaranteed right, like say healthcare or education. Those are public goods. I I support those infrastructure development. Those are public goods. Nationalize those things that has to do with that. Nationalize the oil industry. That, that should help all of us. But don't don't selectively pick on companies that you believe you know you know you say you're going to help the help the billions of people when in effect it's not because they're not considered quote unquote under that criteria that I just described as public goods. So. My friends, I um, I again I apologize. I don't know what ha- what happened to um, um to to Ma- to Micah and Alberto. I mean, they have some explanation. They have some serious explanation to do. You know, I mean, these young brothers. I give them a chance to uh, uh, to come on and express their views. You know, they told me they're gonna come, and you know, uh, I so far I haven't seen them sign on yet. You know. Um, for those of you who want to listen to to um to us, you can do so by Skype, which is also the Skype address is B T R Listener. Um that's B T R Listener Zero Two Six. That's the Skype address. You can also listen to us via um by calling seven one four two four two six one one nine. And I'm inviting anyone who wants to call in, 714-242-6119. If they have a question or they have a particular comment that they want to make or they don't agree with what I'm saying, then fine. There's your opportunity. Um, but I know Carmita Limas will be coming on in about half an hour or 25 minutes. So I still haven't heard from Micah or Alberta. So, I mean, that's on them. That's their that's you know I'm I'm not gonna call them out in public because I believe there's always extenuating circumstances to everything that occurs. So possibly they could have had some kind of technical difficulties. I have no idea. But um, I um will take a break right now. And my name is Hubert Pipersberg, and um I'm join I'm joining you from Los Angeles, and um, I'll take a quick break and come back. I'm a true man. 
Apologies because two of my guests, Mike Goodin and uh, Alberto Velas, has failed to check in. I don't have no idea. They're in Belize City, so I have no idea what seems to, is, the issue is. Um, these are two young, dynamic brothers who are always blogging on, um, on Facebook and blogging on Twitter and, and, and so forth. And I thought that they, you know, um, that they had something that they could share with us, or at least give us their view, views on how they see the direction of the country since uh, more than half the population of Belize is under the age of, well, between the age of 15 to 25. So obviously, you know, we have a very young population. So um, they need to step up and you know, let their voices be heard because you know, they, they have a significant contribution that they can and should and need to make to the development of that country. So I felt it was good to bring them on, but um, um, I, don't, I have no idea why they, you know, they didn't come on. But you know, um, rest assured, they will give you an explanation, and I'm sure it's going to be rational. In any event, I do know that Kamita Limas should be, should be joining us in about 15 to 20 minutes. So um, hopefully, we can get to talk to that young sister, another dynamic young sister who who um, 
you know, who can give us her vision or her or give us her um, analysis of the direction belief is going in or body politics. Now, um, let me get back to you know to Belize City. I mean, to Belize governance and jurisprudence, jurisprudence as I you know because I wanted to focus on that also. Um, under our present system, even though after they had given the Senate so-called powers, let's let's let, let's be real. No party in power is likely to welcome publicly expressed disagreement from within its own ranks. Particularly since there is such a rabid and bitter polarization along petty partisan lines as it is on just about every policy and issue. Everything is politicized. Because the reason why they are fearful of being seen as giving ammunition to the enemy. So even though they know you in your heart of hearts you might say, well, what Pena did is wrong or what Castro did is wrong or what Whichever one of them did is wrong. What, whichever one of these the Contreras or whoever of them did is wrong. You can't. You're not going to publicly disagree from your own ranks because again, you're fearful of being seen as giving ammunition to the enemy. In addition, there's this thing that they call there's a concept that works within believe about politics of collective responsibility of cabinet, which implies that each member of the cabinet. Listen to this, right? This implies by, you know, the, the premise of this, that um, that each member of the cabinet is responsible for all decisions of the cabinet, all decisions of the cabinet, and for all acts of each individual minister. So, so if I do something wrong, it's collectively the cabinet is collectively responsible under our system. You ever hear something as ludicrous as that? Um, so this means that no minister can oppose a government measure in the House. Neither, neither should he publicly criticize any government policy or indeed any official act of another minister. So even though you, again, you disagree what pen it is, you can't come out and really, unless you want to commit political suicide on our system. Only one person I know who really did that was Marshall Cardona. And actually two, because her hair spot also. And you saw what happened to them. Espat resigned. I don't know where. He, I don't even know if he's still in politics. Marcel Cardona was harassed almost to the point of, you know, they tried to destroy that brother's character and destroy his, his, his you know, him publicly because he uh, dared to to call out the prime minister um, when he said that the prime minister made a big with much to do about coming in that um, accountability was going to be the hallmark, the bedrock of the of his. Regime, and when and in, one of his colleagues uh, signed a contract behind Mr. Cardona, who was the minister at the time, is tourism, and he found out and he fired this colleague. Um, Mr. Barak came back and fired the minister and rehired and re, and and on hired and on fire the, the, his colleague. So this is the kind of um, things that we're talking about, where you know you know is this kind of is this kind of thing? This, these are kind of issues. Um, um, that we have in, 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 in Belize, you know, where, um, where you know, where, the, you know, the, these games are, you know, are, are being played. Because if you're a minister of government, elected minister, um, if you feel so strongly against any policy or act, your only, your only recourse is either resign from the cabinet, like I said, her spat did, or do, or go into a purgatory, or Siberia, if you will, 
the salt mines like uh, Marcel Cardona did. Those are the things, you know. So in effect, the system makes the House a mere rubber stamp for the cabinet decisions of the government in power. And all, all those regime past and present is now effectively directed by the cabinet. So when you talk about the legislator, because if you were the backbench, you, you, know, you, you really have no, no power anyway. And the same held true for all the regimes while in office. I would be disinclined to believe that any of these parties have the necessary political maturity to organize any party education encouraging its backbenchers to voice their dissent. So in essence, you have democracy without the needed participation of the people. And except in a formal sense, the National Assembly does not make laws for the peace, order, and good government of Belize, as the Constitution requires. Because look at Section 121.1. Why there is no criminal code you know, the ethical cause in the Constitution. Why is there no criminal code so that we don't have to be harassing the compul? That it's clearly that he can go and say, look, Penner, you did wrong under, under this ABCD and you know, prosecute him. But no. How could you say the National Assembly, you know, is making laws for the good government, of, you know, as the Constitution requires? Perhaps, at least to my mind, its most useful function is to serve as a public forum through which the parties can dis- disseminate their propaganda. No doubt you've all seen the debate in the House. Vitriolic finger-pointing, blame-shifting, uh, you know, your party this. Your, I even heard one say, your party get arrested. Your di- I mean, it was scandalous. I mean, these guys get... And this is, these are the people that we elect to represent us in the National Assembly that they quarrel with one another. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have differences, but for the quarrel one another and tell them, your party did this, your party a drug dealer. I mean, these are the kind of things that they're doing in the National Assembly. I want to tell them, oh, why you never going to law school? You know, it's, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, wow, these are the leaders that we have to represent us. The vitriol, the vitriol back and forth that I see in that place on TV, it's, it's, it's shameful. So, I mean, the thing about it is this. Um... Whether, whatever law that this particular uh, regime that's in power decide that they want to pass, it goes through at will. Yeah, the Senate is going to say they do whatever, but all they do is rubber stamp everything anyway, because these guys are handpicked by you know by by um each by 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 their friends who you know who wants to see them there. I'm not calling. I'm not again again. Let let me let me let me be clear. I am not costing aspirations at anyone's integrity. I'm merely questioning the methodology of our system and how it gener- how it produces this kind of thing. So under our current system, the House of Representatives is 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 is, is maligned and perfunctory at best. The cabinet is front and center the House is only important only as a mechanism through which the cabinet is formed and by which it legislates. Um, in the Caribbean, they call it, I have heard Michael Manley call it, cabinet government, by, you know, because that's what it is. You know, and there, there are certain features of so-called cabinet government in our Constitution. And much of, the, much of these practices are based on the British system, which was developed by convention of the two-party systems, system. Hence, within the cabinet, of, it, hence within the cabinet itself, 
the prime minister is powerful with almost demagogue status. Again, um, the joke among leading scholars like Dr. Van Sertemus and, and Walter Rodney and them is that uh, uh, in the Caribbean is that the cabinet government has been replaced by prime ministerial government because the prime minister, you know, the convention is that the cabinet decisions are never taken by vote, only by consensus. Who sets the consensus? The prime minister. Who declares the consensus? The prime minister. The prime minister exercises an almost de facto authority over all public officers, earth civil servants, and whatever ministry they may work in, along with the power to appoint, discipline, and remove the more senior members, including the police and the military. Let me pause for a minute. Then you wonder why Mr. Wiley, the embattled compol, Minister of Police, the Commissioner of Police, sorry, that is um, that we are asking this Chief Justice to do a judicial review on whether or not he uh, was reasonable in his refusal to uh, look into the penner, into the penner um, mis- uh, conduct on becoming, alleged conduct on becoming. So this guy... They, they they have to they have to you know play a political game because who appoints him? I just told you the prime minister, and I'm not suggesting that the you know that the that the, that the compol has any particular party persuasion, but I would hope that he's serving for the interests of the national interests of the country, not for the party allegiance of a particular party. But if, if that's the case, then shame on him. So since the prime minister has this almost demagogue status over all these, 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 these people, including the police and the military, it's no wonder that the, that the, that the compound of police is... Because is, under our system, that's quite legal. It's okay. It's no wonder the compound is, is, is willing to, to turn a blind eye to alleged misdeeds. He's willing to turn a blind eye to, to conduct on the coming, even though... There might be basis for such conduct that's detriment to the to, 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 to the people. Because again, these political appointees put party allegiance before the national interest of these, these uh, of the country. So as a result, so even if you as an individual you're dedicated to the highest level of public service, you become cynical. Because you're stuck in a reality of self-survival. What occurs as a result of that? Assumptions and deficiencies continue without serious challenges. The all-powerful prime minister rules with impunity. So don't tell me that you know we are we, you know we have a system of, of check and balances where this cannot occur. And here we're asking the judiciary to review. The legislature doesn't seem impotent, can't act, or refuse, or reluctant to act. The Senate tried to do something that was that was um, struck down. The executive, well, I already explained to you the relationship of the executive with the cabinet and vis-a-vis the police, the police, uh, the police commissioner. They, they, the prime minister came out and said, well, you know, um, he don't see any criminal intent, and as far as he's concerned, you know. He can't do much to print other than fire him from the UDP party, but he can't fire him from the cabinet. So this is what we're dealing with. Everybody seems to be hiding 
behind some technicality of Belize's constitution conveniently. Penner, with his ministerial discretion, the prime minister with his um, with his with his authority that he can't you know fire someone from government because he doesn't have the secular power to do so. He can't fire him from the government itself if he's elected. Um, um, you know, the uh, the, the com- commission of police he's hiding behind his authority to you know for discretionary to to to, to, to have discretionary discretionary uh, views on whether or not he can prosecute someone from the uh, member of parliament. So everybody is conveniently hiding behind something, some technicality in the, in the Constitution. Then we wonder why Belize is in the condition it is. For me, and I've said this, I've written an essay on this. Anybody who wants to go look it up, it's in my notes. For me, the Constitution is front and center of what is fundamentally wrong with our foundation as a fledged nation state. As a people, we never wrote and composed a constitution that emerged out of our own struggle, history, and political evolution. Hence, this carbon copy document that was crafted upon us by our former colonial masters is not an authentic representation of who we aspire to become as a people. You simply, my friends, cannot build a house on a faulty foundation. Consider this. When it became time to consult the people about their new constitution in 1981, it was a foregone conclusion that it would follow the pattern established by our colonial masters and most of their former colonies. That is why you could go practice law in Jamaica, uh, uh, you know, any former um, Commonwealth state. You could have somebody come from Cayman or come from Bahamas. It's just one big free-for-all thing. So, thus, the modern constitution of Belize, including the independence constitutions, were modeled after the provisions of, provisions of other Commonwealth country, countries. All it required was the approval of the British government. It effectively excluded the genuine participation of the people. Thus, my friends, this document that we love is not more than a common copy. And that probably ex- explains why we treat it the way we do without any reverence. We only selectively, arbitrarily, and capriciously enforce parts that make sense to us, and the, past, the, the, the parts that are, that, are, that are relevant and that should be enforced, we, we kick it to the side, to the curb. So we have a selective amnesia when it comes to our Constitution, which is supposed, supposed to be the supreme law of the land. And all these learned individuals from UW who want to study law are going to look me in the face and tell me that this is, the, this is the way it is, that you can't do anything, and that's, that's how it is, that they are so learned in interpreting the law. And it's like there's so many inconsistencies, so many, so many uh, uh, dubious and ambiguous ambiguities that concern this document that allow this kind of, this kind of uh, discrepancy to occur with the Penner and the Commission of Police and many other segments in our society. And you're going to tell me this is the best Thing that you want to pass on to our kids, to our children in the future. This is a legacy you want to you want to leave for them, so that 20 years from now, when they grow up, and they have to wrestle with this exact same frustrating document that bedeviled us for decades. Come now, let's be rational about this. 
Are you telling me this is the best that we can do as a nation? This is the best legacy that we can leave for our children? A grafted, ambiguous document that we can manipulate at will, but we can arbitrarily and capriciously discard whenever we want or apply it whenever we want. And we're saying that, you know, you are learned. Then why you go to law school if you're just going to come back and don't question anything? Just plug into something that you know support unjust laws, support things that you know are totally unjust. And this is where, and I'm in a way, you know, I'm glad that, that you know, we have an opportunity to really discuss uh, like this today, because typically I just bring on my my my, my guests, and I don't really give a, get a chance to really talk to my audience like this, and have this frank discussion with you, with 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 all my audience who are listening like this. But because um, unfortunately, my two guests that I wanted to bring on for the first hour, uh, Carmita was going to come on the second hour anyway, but Alberto and Micah. You know, failed to show up, failed to give, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, these young people's issues are. They're in Belize City. I don't, I have no idea. I'm not going to speculate on it, but, um, um, they, you know, they didn't show up for the first hour. So I'm hoping that, um, Carmita, which is the young lady, Odessa Nasha, she will, um, log on in as soon as she, she had a class this morning. So hopefully she will log on and, um, join us in a bit. Now, let me get back to our discussion. Um, so we really need to examine our Constitution. I'm not saying throw, throw the baby with the bathwater. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, to, I'm saying disregard it, burn it. I'm saying let's look. Let's, let's take a serious look at it. Let's take stock. Let's take inventory. and says, you know what? What part of this Constitution um, makes sense? You know, and um, what part of this Constitution makes sense? Well, as I was saying to you, my good, my my my, my good sister from um, San Ignacio, young sister Carmita Limas. You know, she has come through. Unfortunately, for Micah and Alberto, I don't know what the explanation is, but um, I have Carmita. Carmita, uh, she's she's logged on via Skype. He's going to join us from San Ignacio via Skype. And I'm very excited to talk to this young lady because um, it would have been nice to have a contrast with her and, you know, with her young views along with these young brothers. Because I want everybody to say, like, I'm being, I was trying to give equal opportunity to both male and female young people to express their their views on what what is happening. But since, um, unfortunately, those young brothers, you know, um, you know, we, you know, we, I'm not going to belabor the point, but hi, Carmita, how are you? Um, okay, I think I saw her log on, so let me just double check, you know. Carmita, are you on? Can you hear me? Okay, let me try to you know, put her on in a minute then, because, um, She's finished with her class and she's on. In any event, let let me work out this kick for a minute. But Carmita, are you on? Hi, Carmita. 
Okay, all right. I'm glad to see. How are you doing this morning? Okay, her connection seems her connection can be the um Hello Um Your connection seems to be a little bit um No, I think your connection is you're breaking up because I don't know. If you if here's what you should do. Turn off your um your internet and just go on with just the Skype. I guess that would um, don't get off the computer and I think that's that's what happens sometimes. You know, because of the bandwidth in Belize the you know, um that's probably not could happen. So let's give her a chance to try to uh, work out a connection issues here. Okay, so um Okay, so can you hear can you hear can you hear us? Hello? Yes. I can hear you, but I don't hear you yes, as fully. I can hear you clearly. Yeah, your connection seems to be breaking up. It comes in like it's um like it's breaking up or something. Uh, okay, uh, again, you know she's all the way in Tignasia, Belize City. I mean Tignasia, Belize and um so, these are some of the issues that I have had to overcome in trying to establish a dialogue with my fellow Belizeans that live in the, in, in, in in the motherland. It, it's, it's, you know, I've I've learned that you know that we can't blame anyone. It's just the technology, and sometimes this occurs. You know, um, Carmita was good enough to give us a word that she was going to come on, and she did. Um, uh, fortunately, her connection is not as good as I would want it to be, but let's hope it clears up. So, Carmita. Um, can you hear? Can you hear us? Hello. Okay. I think her connection is really bad. Um, you are, are you are you on Skype? Oh, she's she's on Skype. I I, I spoke to um Nancy Marine and you know from Ignacio and her connection was great. I don't know. Can explain why? Uh, you know, I have no idea why. Um. What you know? What the issue is? I I am not there, so but hopefully um we can try to uh, fix it. Um, what is okay, Carmita? Tell you what I'll do. I'll try to get yeah. you on. Hold on a second, Carmita. Don't 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 go. I will do try another thing here. Don't worry. Um. Okay, why don't you just provide that for me? That way I could um, I'm gonna see if I could call you instead. Okay? Don't hang up. Let me just um, see. Let me let me just see something. Don't hang up, okay? Um, let me see. Oh, hold on a second here. Okay. Okay. Um I'm what I'm gonna do is um I'm gonna see if I can call Carmita. 
sort of, you can have a point to play her because the connection is really, really bad.
unfortunately, this morning, um, um, Alberto and Micah, for whatever reason, wasn't able to join us. So, but you, as you know, you promised us that you were going to join us for this the, the, the last hour. So I'm happy that you were able to to come on. So, Carmita, let me ask you, what do you think is the role? What should be the role of um? And I want I don't want to put you on the spot in this conversation. What because we have discussed this. What do you think should be the role in this particular case uh, of the the, the, the the police commissioner? The role of the police commissioner? Yeah, in this particular in, in, in as it relates to the penner to the penner case, though you know the the ongoing penner debacle. Do you think that the the, the, uh, the, the, the what do you believe should be his role at this particular point, or should have been his role? What should he have done? Well, um, definitely the general thought would be that uh, from, from the moment he heard of the matter, conduct an investigation. But um, considering the, the, the factors, the process within um, getting an uh, investigation going, um, he definitely would need um, a credible authority to, to file a complaint. Um, as as uh, I mentioned and discussed with several people, uh, if, 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 if I am, for example, I am a victim of, of domestic violence, let's say if my husband is beating me up, the neighbor can see, the neighbor could call the police department um, to intervene, but I am the one who's been directly affected. Therefore, if I do not want to file a complaint against my husband, if I don't want him arrested, then um, there's no case. And I think that is exactly um Humble Wiley's situation. He cannot just go by his own discretion and, and, and conduct an investigation it needs to be by process. Okay, when you say, I mean, can you expand on that a little bit more? Because you're saying, okay, he's the chief of police, right? And he's, um, you know, he, he cannot conduct an investigation at home. Some, someone needs to, and I saw this on the blog, that, that they're saying that, that uh, it has to be, someone needs to, uh, some authority. Does that, I, I explain that because it's still a little bit ambiguous to us, you know, it's still a little bit... <laughs> kind of on the left field. Explain more on that, please. Okay. In this case, it's immigration department that has the authority to file a complaint. And these are just my opinion. And the reason for that is because uh, the offense was at, the, at that department. Right? And we could have several people of concern and want to take action on it but they are the only ones with the authority to do that because he was under their administration. For example, um, if you're working for a department and I find out that, oh, you stole so many amounts of money, I cannot go and file a complaint. That is not my, that is not my um, stance. It has to be the administrator of the place. In in this case, it would have been um, Mr. Hall. 
Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So in other words, even though you're on the outside and you can see, look, this is clearly wrong, you have, you're not the appropriate authority, so you can't, you, you, under the under our system, you, you are, you're under no compulsion to be able to, uh, to do anything. But see, I think, uh, okay, my, 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 my question is this. The chief of police, right, um, what what what's his what's his relationship with the DP the, the DPP? What's his relationship with the DPP? Yeah yeah. Well, I mean, how does that relationship work? The, the commissioner oh, of police well, and the DPP. Well, I I I'm not sure, but I think they work under the same department. Mm-hmm. Um, the process, however, for for um the DPP to be able to charge if there's any um, any evidence, any if it well if they find um Penner guilty would have to be through um compel directing an investigation, gathering the evidence and then um provide it to the DPP directly and then she revise and and um Prosecute for charges. Okay. Well, I mean, as I understand it, I, I look. You, you know, the, the, the judicial review that they're requiring, the um, you know, that they that they have filed, the writ that they have filed to um, for the judicial review, where they want the chief justice to uh, look at whether or not the chief of police, the commissioner of police, had um, acted reasonable as far as his discretion, as a lot of the institution, his discretionary powers. To act on 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 the yeah. matter, and that's that's what they're asking the the judge, you know, to to review. Which I suppose we're gonna have um an outcome on Monday. What is your how, what do you, what do you think about mm-hmm. that review that they're asking the judge to that the People's United Party is asking the judge to conduct? Well, as we know, um, the last. The thing is that the, the 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 all the court could do is interpret laws, um, and there's nothing written any in any substantial any structured law that that they could line up so that um, Campbell Wiley is not is not um, complying with his work because. He has um, our authority to use discretion in his work, mm-hmm. and then his his um, his defense was that he needed a credible um, filing of, of of a report of a um, well a request for for the investigation to be conducted and. Um, he stated that it had to come from immigration. So you were at some memo that uh, I think they were that I saw in the blog um, where the DPP was suggesting that there were credible sources, and yet he um, some memo that was leaked that there were credible sources, but he didn't. Yet he refused, or he neglected to, or he you know he did not act. Yeah. Are you aware of that particular memo? That, that I don't know if you have seen it. Yeah, I, I saw I saw the memo on Facebook. Um what what surprised me about that memo is that it's dated on February twentieth. Now the offense took place in September. 
So um, I question why would, if, if they really wanted or truly desired for an investigation to have taken place, why until now would the DCT write a memo to Compol um, five months after the offense? Mm-hmm. And um, it has been something on the media for, uh, you could say, almost every day. So it is a major concern to our Belizeans. And why would the, why would the DPC wait until February 20th to request that an investigation be conducted? Yeah, most peculiar indeed. That. Yeah, most peculiar indeed. Um, <laughs> well, let's move on. I mean, that's you know, that's just. I don't want to burden you with just that, but yeah, as, a, as, as a young individual growing up in that country, born and bred so far, what do you think is, when you look at mm-hmm. these, these, these things that, that, that occur, and they want you to inherit this particular system, what do you say, to, what, 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 are, what are you doing, or what are you, what are you questioning as, as, as a young individual who is supposed to live under that type of system? What is it that... that, that, that I don't want to be too general because I want to be specific. What specifically is it that's bothering you about what about this kind of ambiguity that go ambiguity that's happening within our governance, governance and jurisprudence? Well, there's what what would um, what bothers me a lot is the corruption that happens before I, and also the fact that. For the most, um, we are a young country, um, youth in the highest population, 70%, and youth are the ones that are undermined most of the time. Um, I believe that uh, if if things are to change, and it, it will start by youth, it will start by young people. However, the, the two parties that are in, UDPUP, they have been using our youth since 1981. And the reason I would say that is because both of them are responsible with a youth arm. And their responsibility with having a youth arm is to guide these young people in becoming the new leaders. But however, the senior leaders have been taking that place over and over, and they don't give the young people the chance, and they don't guide them. What what we've been experiencing experiencing is that both political political parties do have a youth arm, but they only use them during election time. So they they use it as a political mileage, and um. I really would have loved if Micah and Alberta Villas, Alberta Villas. Yeah, Alberta was here because I know that they're um, they belong to the for the the youth group for the political party, which is Believe Youth National something. I don't recall the name that well, but they have been going around in the communities visiting people. And and I love to see that. I mean, that is great, right? But what mm-hmm. I hope is that these same young people will not be used again just for a political game. That this time that they 
I mean, I believe Micah and Alberto are very intellect, and I believe that they could they could start the changes that are needed in the government. So I definitely hope that they do not allow themselves to be used by these senior um, leaders. That that Interesting. Um, Interesting. So there, uh, I was aware that they are, you know, you know, part of some the, the youth arm. But I wanted to see if they, because see, look, on the surface, Camita, there's nothing wrong with belonging to any organization. That's not. I don't pick a beef with people for that. What I ask is that at the end of the day, are you going to put national national interest of the country ahead of the the, the allegiance that you, the party allegiance or whatever allegiance of the organization? There are certain issues that that should transcend uh, political parlance or party parlance. And, and, and that's, that was one of the things I would want to discuss with these young brothers if they had came on was, you know, what, what, you know since they're mm-hmm. part of like, these, youth, these youth movements, what are they doing to, to broaden the discussion? What are they doing to, 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 make, to, to make the discussion more inclusive as opposed to exclusive by just suggesting, well, I'm the youth arm of the PUP or I'm the youth arm of the UDP. What are they doing to engage more youth because you just said seventy percent. I didn't. I didn't realize it was that high. I had it roughly around fifty percent. You think more than seventy percent of belief? So it's a very young population. Yes, it is. You know, um, let, let's let's discuss this for a minute. In, in terms of the youth activities, so you only see these people come around during election time. They surface because they want to engage the youth because I guess that's a block that they want to get. Um, votes from. What exactly would you like to see them do in, in as far as as far as engaging young people in Belize? Sorry, you're you're breaking up there. I didn't get no, I'm saying what exactly what what specifically would you like to see these the, the, the youth wings of these organizations do to engage the the youth of Belize? Well, I definitely want want to see them, um, you know, serve the country as, as area reps, as ministers. Uh, I am a person who strongly believes in the young people, and I do know that they have potential. However, um, the, the main issue is whether they're there for the party or for the people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it, it's difficult. I I have been approached by several um, political organizations, and I've always told them that I I am an activist. I I advocate for people, and I'm I will always serve the people, and not the party. So. Um, that is that is where I want to see young people that they do get involved in politics that they do get involved in the leadership, but that they remember their roots and that they remember that they're there to make changes for the people. Yeah. What are some of the um when you say activities? An example of some activities that you have that you have participated in uh, in Belize. You have any specific example? Yeah, 
Well, I've worked with NGOs for my entire life, um, from age 18. Um, I've worked mainly with young people uh, all across the country, and I do have a, a youth movement. It's the Purple Movement. I'm the president and founder of the Purple Movement, mm-hmm. and um, this movement came about when we lost one of our their friend and neighbor. Um, she was murdered in 2012, and that's how our movement came to birth. You talking about the Jasmine? You talking about Jasmine Law, right? The, the mo- Sorry. You talking about Jasmine Law, correct? No, this is um, Susan Martinez. Oh, Susan Martinez. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah. So after Her she was murdered... Her nickname was you Purple. And, um, okay. Sorry? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, I didn't mean to cut you short. Go ahead. Yeah, her name was Purple, and um, uh, that's how um, we came up with the name for the movement. So it's Purple Movement. So the, oh, her nickname and, was um, Purple. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so basically that is what I do. I work a lot with young people, and um, currently our, our movement is uh, strategizing, um, creating a plan, an advocacy plan, and um, hopefully we could initiate um, some campaigns, educate young people, and start some of the changes that we need in our country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as the Purple Movement is concerned, what kind of alliances do you have? Um, is this independent movement? Are you uh, in alliance with other progressive organizations or groups? Are there any specific uh, alliances that you, we, that you have? We have alliances um, across the country. We have... Um, we had impact in one uh, in one of our um, demonstration in 2012, and um, it was all over the media and thing. And a lot of young groups were impressed by by the amount of people that came out, by the the things that we accomplished. And so we've been networking, we've been communicating, and and working together in. Uh, national campaign, but that is still on the process, and this will be in alliance with all several youth groups from different districts. Okay, so but the Purple Moon itself is headquarters in San Ignacio, correct? Yes, it started in San Ignacio. However, we got we have um, members in in every district, I can say. So you. So you have you've you've reached out across the whole nation to try to galvanize, um, engage other like-minded youth into into becoming involved in in in, in the process of governance. Well, well, in, involved in the process of our governance and jurisprudence as to the direction of the country. Great. Um, in, in in so far as the purple movement is concerned, specifically in you know as you you being one of the uh, impetus to start that movement. Do you envision this just being an advocacy group, or do you want it to? Is there any political uh, underpinnings that you do you see becoming uh, you know, active in part of po- in electoral politics, or just you would just stay away from that and just 
plain advocacy? No, no. Well, when we started in 2012, we were challenged by um, by the different political by well by the, both political parties. Um, they were trying to brand us as a UDP or a PUP, and um, we want to we, we we don't want to be political in any firm. Um, we believe that politics has has brought our country to where we are at this moment. And which politics should be a good thing. However, in our country, it's not that. And um, we've decided, we created our principles and bylaws and everything, and we will not become a political party. However, we do know that young people um, will increase their leadership skills and at some point want to join a political group. And um, we support that idea. The, the movement will will not become political at any point. No, okay, we live in a global village. That's, that's a popular, uh, that may you know that may be that may sound corny or trite, but it is a global. So you may think locally, but you want to act globally. What are you doing? What do you hope to do in the future to engage other like-minded youth? In the diaspora, a lot of Belizean youths, because you know, you, you know, who, who still who are ignorant of what's happening in their country, but they visit with their family, whatever, and they come back, but they're not aware. What are you doing to? What would you hope to envision, or you want to do to engage the diaspora youth living outside of Belize city, Belize country? Well, well, currently we have uh, um, in in Saint Nancy itself, we have. Uh, close to close to like 500 young people, close to 500. Um, and what we hope to do is put some put some campaigns together, educational campaigns, and head out to each district and inspire. Have these same young people inspire other young people. Mm-hmm. And um, we found we we have piloted it. Um, person movement started with youth from Tainasia only, and we took some youth over to Santelena, which is one of the it's the neighboring district. And um, most of the young people there feel neglected, and most of the time are are seen as gang related as violent young people, unregulated young people and these are sentiments they shared with us. Mm-hmm. And now they form one of the biggest part of our youth group and they are the strongest group in our movement because they are Focus and they are they really are ambitious towards getting that change in, in, in their area. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, but um, what I want to ask you though is yeah. as far as you know, that's youth in Belize City and in the country of Belize, but what about youth living in the United States or you know, youth in the diaspora who might be like mining with you who 
What, what, what do you hope to do to try to engage, to internationalize the struggle to Belizeans outside of the country? Well, that's a good one, Hubert. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> no, I, no I'm, I'm saying, I know, you know, because you have to understand, like I explained to you, we live in a, we live in a, a global village, and you have a lot of youths that's living outside of Belize City who are Belizeans, you know, Belize, they, come from, they have Belizean parents who, who are not going to fall into the, the foolishness of PUP, UDP, who wants to see a national plan for development for the country as well. And I guess, I know, I, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to, okay, if, if you were, and I'm trying to tell you to look here into the future, what do you envision? How would you go about trying to build alliances with those youths in the diaspora? Well, I'd have to start thinking about that and start putting a plan together with my team. Mm-hmm. Because that's, I mean, you... Because you, you, honestly, I haven't thought about that. We were we were focused central in, in the youth across the country, but we never thought about our religions that live abroad and so forth. Mm. Well, um, I mean, on that same vein, um, well, you know what, I don't live in, I don't reside in Belize City. I don't reside in Belize, but... Um, as a member of the diaspora, what do you what do you think? Uh, you know, how do you see the role of of the diaspora? What what role do you you think they, you see us playing? What what's your what's your purple movement position on engaging the diaspora? If not the youth, but the diaspora in general, youth in particular, but the diaspora in general. Well, I always believe. In- I always believe in unity. I believe that once there's good causes to to work with together, then definitely uh, join the cause. It doesn't matter who who you're joining, as because we do have some good leaders uh, that are political, that are not political, and sometimes we um, are skeptical as to whether to join join um, the cause. So I always tell people it's not about the person beating, but it's the cause. Is it something worthwhile? Is it something that would benefit us as a country? Um, is it a change that we need? Then let's do it. So I, I really don't believe in, in the whole division. Um, well, I think what happened is, you know, you, 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 you're right about, you know, um, 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 you write about you know you, you know something that that you said regarding you know the youth that they that they need to start looking at the country in a way with a critical eye, well, not just so much so critical, but with a questioning eye. And I think that it would behoove this, the uh, the purple movement to really to give serious consideration about how they can engage. Other like-minded or other youths in the diaspora, because that would be a very ex- that's that would be I think a very powerful alliance if you can get youths born to Belizean parents in, in in the states to get them to, to engage them and say look we we have a common interest because after all this country is is our legacy this is going to be our future and you also have a role to play mm-hmm. and get them together so we can sit down mm-hmm. and have a couple of dialogue just like I'm talking to you now. Ten years ago, this would never occur. Mm-hmm. Um, I really believe that this is something that you and your team need to sit down and and decide how you're going to go about engaging 
youths in New York City, youths in Los Angeles, youths in Miami, youths in Philadelphia, you know, youths in Chicago. I mean, they're all over. There's hundreds of thousands of them living right, second generation believes in, and third generation living right here in the United States who will share. In most instances, identify with what, what the goals that you set forth. You know, for the who will act in the, in the national interest of the country, and not necessarily see the development of beliefs within narrow paradigms of of um of PUP or UDP. And I think that's that, that's that, that's something that I hope that you you're able to discuss with your team. But um, you know, let me ask you, what are what are some do you do, why do you believe that they, that they take the young people for granted so? And malign is so much so in the leaves. What 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 what's the impetus for that? Well, I think um, there are many factors. You have lack of education. Um, you have poverty. Um, young people need money. Um, you have uh, family structure as a factor as well. And drugs, mm-hmm. and like I said, like I said, many times the young people are not granted the opportunity because no one believes in them. Um, example: a lot of young people graduate annually, university, they finish high school, they finish university, but then when they come out, they don't have a job. And when they search for a job, the description, the skills needed, you need to have so many years of experience, you need to have so many qualifications. But if they're not granted the opportunity, how will they ever have an experience? And you have many youth that are well-educated. They have six months. They have university. And they've been searching for jobs for years, and I literally mean years, because that's how difficult it is with opportunities for young people in the country. Therefore, if they don't have a job, if they don't have enough education, they rely on the bribery of the parties. Mm -hmm. Or they turn it down, or... The, and then the crime increases in the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of issues that are facing our youths today, not only in Belize, but worldwide. And, you know, yeah. you said, you mentioned the lack of jobs, the lack of proper education. Um, what, 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 what's drive, what is the single most important thing that you see I hate to put, I don't want to pigeonhole you like that because, you know, there's so many terribles, but as far as young people getting engaged in, 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 in the discourse, um, is it because of lack of resources or just um, people would say that they just apathy on the part of the young, the, 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 the young believers? What do you think? Well, from, from my experience, Personally, I've worked in in several in well in the in all districts in the country in rural areas, and I've had discussions with many young people. And it's not that they don't want to do something; it's that they don't have the resources. 
because many of them have agriculture minds, they have entrepreneurship minds, but when they go to the bank, when they go to the political leaders, nobody wants to provide a land for them to cultivate. Nobody, there's no agriculture program in any area. Okay. And there's no bank that would provide a loan for a young person without a collateral, without, a, without someone to sign to them, um, a guarantor. So therefore, there's, there's, there's limited opportunities and resources for them. So they have nothing to turn to. And I know of these young people because a lot of organizations train them in doing great proposal writing, doing business plans. They even get that in, in school. But when they're out here, they don't have the opportunity. They have the idea, but no opportunity or support in it. So you think it's a question of, well, it's also a question of resources, but it's also a question of not having, you know, in addition to education, lacking that kind of support. The people who, what if, okay, what if, mm-hmm. is it, what if they go? What what if they put together a collective push, go together as a group or as a as an entity? Would that help you think? Let's see the well, people thing movement. is that we already have a, a youth development policy that was created in 2012. Um, however, it should be guided by a national youth council, which is um, we're supposed to be elected from each district. And um, they should be the the guardians of this development plan. However, the plan promises a lot of things to young people that is not there. They promise um, entrepreneurship opportunities. They promise education, um, job creation. Um, the basic things that young people need to develop, need to grow, mm-hmm. and um, it is not there. Up to now, the, 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 the youth, poli- youth development policy has been on process since 2001, and in 2012, it was finally developed. However, there's no caretaker, no guardians that would make sure that the political party in place would implement the framework that is there. So they have so, they they have a good they have a structure, but there's no teeth to it. It's just there. It's just there. Are you aware? And of, then um. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Carmita. Finish your thought. No, and, and the next um, the next issue is that this youth policy that was developed in 2012, uh, many youth in Belize don't know about it. I what? have questioned several youth that I visit, and I say, hey, how many of you know that we have a youth development policy? And they're like, what is that? They have and no idea what I it is. I did question one of, I did no, they don't have an idea of what the youth policy is. They don't have, they don't know the importance of it or how this can make a difference to them. 
And um, I asked one of the directors of the youth development office, um, Youth for the Future, and he said, well, you know what? That is true. A lot of young people don't know about the youth policy. And he said he went around and he asked several youth and he found out for himself that a lot of youth don't know about it. And Who it's the approach because Who developed their the policy? only way... Sorry? Who, de- who developed this policy? The youth policy... Who wrote it? Yeah, who, who developed it? Whose initiative was it? Or um, Was it okay. some sort of bipartisan the thing? The was developed... Well, the youth policy was developed by several youth across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, it started in 2001. Uh, the youth grew old, and they left. They started with another young with other young groups until 2012, where we had the, the last youth group that they worked with um, finally developed the, the plan. And it's printed. It's there, but like I said. It should be guided by a national youth council, but the national youth council has not been developed. And mm-hmm. it is like that because it's, it's, it's not in the interest of the government to have a young a youth group that would look over their work, that would evaluate that they're not complying with the policy. So mm-hmm. if they never get a, young, a national youth council in place, it's in the best interest for them. Less, less um, advocacy and less pressure on them. So they, they, so they purposely, in your opinion, malign the youths for fear of, you know, the youths getting enlightened and emboldened and empowered to hold them accountable for for, mm-hmm. for things that they should be doing. Mhm. And, okay. and that's the main thing that once you once once youth understand what is happening to them. I am I'm, I'm sure you could get out there and defend their rights. But mm-hmm. the lack of education, the lack of they don't they don't know most of the things that are in the policy. They don't know about the the document itself. Therefore, um they have nothing to you know, if you, they say if you don't have anything anything to stand for, you don't have anything to fight for. True. So True. that is basically okay. it. Um I was going to ask you you, uh, you, you mentioned Youth for the Future. Are you aware of um, one Diane Finnegan? Yeah. Because she, I had posted on her well, um, I wall, have, I have... posted on her wall that I was bringing you guys on, and she was super excited, but um, she said she wished she could have been a part of it, and I wish she could have too. Um, she seemed to be doing some great work with, you know, youth in Belize City itself. I'm not aware if her thing is not that she has um, any kind of um, national outreach or as opposed to just regional Belize City proper. Are you aware of any any anything that she has, say, in San Ignacio or Santa Elena or Rolling Creek or or Bomapan, as far as? No, no. no. I'm aware that she has a program um, in in Belize City. Um, it's I, I don't know what to. Do. What the program calls, but she does have a good program. I heard about it. Um, it's been out for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even so, we have in 
Hubert, if the reality is, if you would come to Sainas, you know, and you conduct a survey, you go to every school and you ask the youth one question, do they know about a department of youth service? Do they know where it is or anything? They wouldn't know. We have department of youth service in every district. We have youth officers in every district. However, when you ask them, what are the services you offer to you, they can't answer you that question. Hmm. And when you approach young people and you ask them, have you heard about Department of Youth Service? They're like, what is that? Where is that? Hmm. So then these people are in place, but they're not impacting you. And they hmm. have a high budget. Where is all that money going to? Most of the time, the events that they have are sports. How will sports ever empower our young people to the level that we need them? It is good, yes, but it can't take them where we need our country to be, where we need our young people to be. It's one avenue that, I mean, I don't want to discount it. Sports is important, but like you said, it's not, it should be other. Uh, what other things besides sports you'd like to see the money being used for? Well, mainly, I mean, there's a lot of things. I, I could I could get you a copy of the youth policy. I would like to see youth centers. I would like to see music schools. I would like to see more entrepreneurship opportunities. I would like to see jobs for the young people. Because if we go back to statistics, high population of young people are unemployed. What percentage um, do you have? I have it right here in front of me. In, in the 2010 census, um, it said that um, unemployment rate of young people 15 to 29, sorry, 14 to 19 was 49.7%. Wow. So that is the problem that our young people are nine point seven percent and it and it can be found in the same new policy. That's interesting. Um you know, the thing about it is I know that Diane Sagan has, like you said, a very successful program that she has working in Belize City with those youths in the inner cities. My question is have you had any conversation or any kind of reach out with youths, with her, with her, with her people, or with her organization, with the Purple Movement in San Ignacio? Are there any attempts being made to broaden the outreach with her organization? No, no, we haven't had that um, initiated that conversation with. Really. Yeah. Would that be something that you but, think that you would want to do for like the purple movement? It, I mean, I, sorry. Would that be something that you'd want to you envision the purple movement doing? I mean, reach out to somebody like her organization and the good things that she's doing. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Um, I mean, um, I I highly admire Diane um, with with her work. I. Took some classes with her at UWI. I 
met her personally. I have her on Facebook, so definitely um, she is uh, a good resource to turn to as a person that could guide us and, and help our young people further. I mean, a lot of young people have her as an idol, I could say so, because um, she's very passionate about her work with young people. Are some of the issues facing, you think that um, we don't have a lot of time. We only have, um, Carmita, we don't have a lot of time, but um, let me just, before we go on, let me just tell okay. the audience. You're listening to Carmita Limas, who is a youth activist out of Salinasia, head of the Purple Movement, a uh, very dynamic young sister, giving us her vision of what she'd like to see, uh, um, you know, the youth, get the youth more engaged and more, you know, more active in uh, in the development of our country. And uh, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm not going to, I want to, I want to ask you, give us, uh, give us a final thought on what you believe should be the direction vis-a-vis the youth as it relates to Belize's development? The direction? Yeah, with, you know, the, the yeah, development I, of the country, with, you know, utilizing the power of the youth. How could that be incorporated to help well, drive the development of our country? Well, well, the first thing is that the youth need to be engaged in, in the different um, departments that these young people need to learn need to learn and be guided into how to manage how to grow the community because young people don't have much opportunities in in the country, and if they're not engaged by the elders um if they're not taught by by the older leaders then our, our country will die because we have we're not cultivating any any leaders. So that is the main thing that young people. I would want to see young people engage in 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 every area of governance, in every area of development. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Carmita. Um, I first of all, I appreciate the fact that you kept your word. And you joined us, like you said you were, when you finished your classes. And um, I'm sorry that um, at the beginning of the show, uh, the hour when you started, or your or connection was bad. And I'm also I also regret that we didn't have Micah and Alberta to counter, to provide not a counter per se, but to provide a perspective from the male youth, because you mentioned gangs and that kind of thing, teenage pregnancies, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, to see their perspective as to what they taught, you know should be the direction of the country. But I want to, I'm not going to call out these young brothers because I believe that they have a logical explanation as to why they promised to join and at the last moment I've never heard from them. So up in yesterday we were talking and today, this morning, I have no idea. But Carmita, Carmita Limas, thank you very much. Yeah. You're, you're a righteous sister. You, you know, you came, you kept your word, you said you were going to come. And for all my listeners out there, you were just listening to Miss, Carmita Lima out of, out of San Ignacio, and she is um, ahead of the Purple Movement. I think we should try to reach out to her. She's on Facebook, encourages young sister, lend her resources, because 
Her cause is just, and what she has to say to us is righteous. Uh, do the right thing. Have a wonderful, have a wonderful day. Talk to you some other time, Carmita. Thank you, too, Hubert. Enjoyed our remainder okay, of the day. And thanks to all the listeners. All right. Do the right thing. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend.